welcome to People's Church Podcast. Today I want to tell you three stories, basically. And each of them are going to illustrate some very powerful truths. We've been concentrating right now on the time just before the Holy Week, which begins, of course, with Palm Sunday, runs the week through to Good Friday, and then on Easter Sunday. And I hope that you're preparing for those services in that week. It's always such an amazingly powerful time of year for us. And so we've been preparing sort of in our own hearts, kind of what Lent was sort of intended to do. And Jesus is doing some preparation with his team, with his disciples. He's preparing these men to become apostles, to go to a next level. Up till now, they've basically been the servants. They have been under the command and then the response and obey the command. And that's kind of been where they've been, but they're going to have to be people of initiative. They're going to have to change. They're going to have to grow. They're going to have to become leaders. They weren't intended to just walk in the shadow of Jesus here on this planet. They were called to walk alongside him in his kingdom and his expansion. So they needed huge upgrades. You know, in life, a lot of times we need to recognize our seasons, that there's times when we need to really go through upgrades. Sometimes those are upgrades in what we do and how we do it, uh, but there's also in our faith, times where we upgrade, where we just go to that next level and we say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with just this limitation on my expression of my Christian life. And so Jesus is prepping these guys for the big world. And uh, I want to use some of the stories and some of the things he did before then to illustrate some of what he was calling them to. The first is a story that uh, comes out of a question from the disciples. And I'm just going to read it for you first in Luke 17, 5 through 10, in the message version. It says, the apostles came up and said to the master, Give us more faith. That sounds like a noble request, doesn't it? And it's funny how Jesus handles this. They were looking to get more faith and Jesus was looking to get more performance. Listen to this, give us more faith, but the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. You have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed. You could say to the sycamore tree, go jump in the lake and it would do it. He's basically saying, you know, that little bit of faith, you got to quit thinking it's just little and you got to realize how powerful just that little seed of faith is in you. Instead of always asking God for more faith, he wants to see more response, more activity. And so the first call of three calls that really we are all called to as believers is faith and duty. Faith and duty. Then he goes and he follows up that statement with a story. Suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Would you take his coat, set the table, and say, sit down and eat? Wouldn't you be more likely to say, prepare dinner, change your clothes, and wait table for me until I finish my coffee? Then go to the kitchen and have your supper. Does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact and say the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. It's an interesting story because it's, it, it, for many people, this is a confusing response on the Lord's part. 
It's confusing because he seems to be indicating very strongly that, you know, look, this is even called in the King James, he called this guy an unprofitable servant. See, he's unprofitable. It was, that's an interesting thing because, and that's what makes this parable sometimes hard for people to grasp, but it's really quite simple. He's saying, look, this is this guy's servant. And he's still in the command and response, command and obey. He's still in the most basic of level of being a servant. He's never progressed. He's never captured the, what his master's heart was about. He has to be told everything. And in being told everything, then he responds and, and he obeys. The problem with that is that is very unprofitable. And even if you are a business person, you can pick up on what he means by this because you see, it takes a lot more effort and cost to actually be in that form of relationship with productivity. Because they're only productive as you put the time and energy into commanding and managing everything that they do. So you gotta have a manager now to hire, to run that kind of servant. Cuts into the productivity. All of a sudden, it's not as profitable anymore. Jesus is making a very key point here. He's saying, look, the first of call is just simple obedience, really. Just obey. And oftentimes, the problem in Christian thinking is that many have thought that that's just as simple as what we're to do, so give me the list. Just give me the list and I'll check it off. And we talked about that last week, so. Give me the list, we'll check it off. This is only the introductory level and it is not even the profitable level. It's not actually where, where you have moved into any form of real development as a person. Your faith hasn't really taken you into taking what you've got in you and bringing it out. It is only energy that is controlled by the needed command, the needed list. And that's where a lot of people are at. This guy was on a prof unprofitable simply because he was subject to command and response. That's in faith. That's never been the world that Jesus wants you to just rest yourself. What do you want me to do here, Lord? Command me. You remember the story about the rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And in that story, uh, Jesus says, obey the commandments. And this guy says, which ones? Do you know what he's doing? What is the minimum I need? What is the, what is the minimum I need to get this? And that's often the kind of thinking that is sinking your, the dynamic opportunities that sit and wait. He missed his. That's the one that turned away and walked away sad. When Jesus said, I want your heart. When our faith is reduced to just response to commands, response to what we believe that we need to be obedient to, that is just introductory level stuff. Is it important? Yes. Is it the end of the game? No, it's barely the beginning. Remember Jesus is telling this parable after they ask, give us more faith. And he's saying, you don't need more faith. He's saying, if you have faith the size of just a poppy seed, 
If you just have just this little seed of faith, you can say to this, move, jump in the lake, and it will do that. He's speaking into the power of faith, and he's saying the problem is not the volume of the faith. The problem is there's no activity of your faith, that your faith is not being taken from seed into things that grow and become something and produce something 30, 60, 100-fold. And that's why he tells the story of the unprofitable servant. The next call that we face as believers is not just a call to faith and duty. Anything that just comes down to faith and duty will empty your life. That faith and duty in a marriage is the foundation so it can live because of other things that you will do. But if you stay in just faith and duty, you can empty it of real life. So what is the next call? He wants initiatives of the heart. And here he has an experience just just right after telling him this in Luke 17. They're on their way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And he tells, and, and he has this experience. So let's read about this experience. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, which in a racist way was what they would have termed the half-breed, part Jew, part Gentile. Jews would have nothing to do with them. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. In another version, just the King James Version, it says has made you whole. There's something that transpired in this moment that one out of 10, 10%, 10%, not the majority, move to this level where it's initiative of their heart. That all of a sudden their heart initiates for them a response that goes way beyond just faith and duty. Now these other nine, they had received what they had asked for, which was to be healed from leprosy. And they went about looking to reclaim their lives. That leprosy would have broken. It would have broken, it brought brokenness into their families, into their economics. It would have brought bro brokenness into the relationships with their villages. It would have brought brokenness into their lives that their their faces and their hands and extremities would have been eaten away enough that people would recognize that they were lepers, but now they were cleansed. 
The leprosy wasn't active. And they were glad just to pick up life. Now they could not stand afar off. They could now go and they could be amongst the community. They could hug at the birthdays. They could give kisses to their children and grandchildren. They now could, could reclaim their life. And that's what they focused on and that's what the nine did. And it's not that that was a bad thing. It was just that they were missing out on the better thing. This second call is for you to have a heart towards God that is, takes initiative. An initiative that quickly responds to him with gratitude and thanksgiving that ends up in bringing a prize and worship to him. It's not just a doing thing. It ends up in a worshipful thing that's based on gratitude. A life and a heart of gratitude that is just overflowing into the loudness of praise towards him. That your mouth and tongue speak of his goodness easily. And you make him your Lord in every way. Because that's what this man did, this one, the outsider, the outsider, the 10%. Jesus is telling us, is, is allowing his disciples to experience this because he's put the same kind of call upon them first to obey. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Obey. Faith and duty. Yes. Initiatives of the heart. Oh, Lord, I'll never do that. Yes, Peter, you will. In fact, tomorrow morning, real early, you're going to have denied me three times before that rooster crows twice. But, but Lord, that's not, I won't do that. He tried to keep, stay with faith and duty. I won't do it. And God wanted initiative from his heart. Yes, Peter, you will. But I pray for you so that, you know what? You're going to survive this thing. And you're going to end up where I want you to be. You're going to become the leader I want you to become. You're not just going to be the faith and duty guy. You are going to be a guy that understands about heart initiatives. Your heart taking initiatives towards my, towards who I am. So what happened to this guy when it says it made him whole? Well, the indication is this, that what leprosy had eaten off of his flesh is made whole. He gets it back. He gets back the economic decimation. God puts his blessing upon him. He gets back the relationships that have been lost. Leprosy is always a, why it was treated so bad wasn't just because it's such a bad disease. It was treated so bad because it was a disease that was sort of a type of sin. And sin has done a lot of damage in a lot of people's lives and relationships. And we can take the process only to the first level. Faith and duty. And God will heal you. 
But if you want to be restored, if you want wholeness, then there's got to be something within the heart that takes on this initiatives that says, I want to follow you. I am so grateful. I am so filled with praise and thanksgiving to you, Lord. You are my Lord. And he falls, he takes full-on unsolicited uh, initiative and returns back to Jesus. Only one that did it. And he's falling at his feet. His heart wouldn't allow him to just pick up and go on and say, wow, thanks, that's great, and just go on and reclaim his life. He had to go back, this man. And that's the heart thing. His heart couldn't just do this. His heart had to go. With the others, their initiatives of the heart were simply faith and duty. We've got that, thank you. Now I can go and build my life. But this one, this, this guy, we couldn't do that. His heart wouldn't let him. The work of the Lord, the miracle of his touch, the miracle of what has just happened has so, so moved into his heart that his heart has to go back and respond. You have a call to faith and duty, but you have a higher call to have initiatives of the heart. It's a higher way. Your faith has made you whole. But that's not the end of it either. There's a third call. The third call are initiatives for his kingdom. For this one, we're going to go to an Old Testament story. You know, a lot of businesses, they go through a lot of trauma when there has to be change of CEO or there has to be change of key leadership. And trying to find the right guy, we could, hey, look at the tragedy of Disney over the last, what, five years? Igor was out, Igor's back in. I mean, it's hard. Those transitions can be very, very difficult. But when we look at these two men, we see an amazing transition uh, that is really, really incredibly powerful. And this is about Elijah and Elisha. They, they are uh, really solid guys. These are successful men and in their own right, but yet they have been called by God to walk out of their marketplace into a, being a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, and again, challenging the evil of kings and challenging the evil of the people and challenging the evil of the nation. And Elijah has done that amazingly. And you know the story. He's, uh, he just pours himself totally into this Elijah. And he's just given it everything he's got. And we have this great big uh, challenge on Mount Carmel and calling fire down from heaven against all of the prophets of Baal that were now the, you know, the religious idols of the day. And God does this a miracle. And Elijah's thinking this is the crowning effect and that this is when it's going to all change, but it didn't. So the queen threatens his life after she hears about what happened and he goes into a deep depression. And then God meets him in the desert, gets him to sleep and eat, sleep and eat so that he can recover. 
And then he goes on a, a journey 40 days to Mount Sinai and on the Mount of God there in a cave, he meets with God. But in that meeting with God, the first three ways that most people would think it was God wasn't God. There was an earthquake, there was a wind, there was a fire. None of those things had the voice of God in it. But then it says, but then there was a still small voice. It said, Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, Lord, things are so evil out there. It's so bad. It's unbelievable. It's, it's crazy what's going out there. And I'm really tired of this fight. And I'm tired in body, soul, and spirit on this. I put everything I got in. I'm the only one that's left. And Lord, I'm really, just get me out of this. You felt that way in your family? If you felt that way in your business? If you felt that way in your life? Elijah really, really felt that. Well, the Lord spoke to him and said, Elijah, that's not actually the way that it is. There's 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, I'm going to send you back and I want you to do three things. But one of the things he told him that he wanted him to do was to bring along Elisha as his servant. So Elijah, Elijah leaves there and after immediately after leaving there we pick up this particular scripture. Back. Thank you. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. After he had left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became a servant. Now, this is an interesting exchange. The mantle meant this was his power, his, his, the spirit of God on him. It was, it was the calling. It was, it was what God had called him to and this was the man's sign of this. And so a mantle was literally this cloak that he was wearing. And the cloak of Elijah was significant in what it meant. That it was his. And this was what God had called him to wear. This is what God had given him to carry. And he did. But when it came to Elisha, in this interesting thing, all he does is sees him there. This guy's plowing with a, a yoke of oxen. He's in business. It sounds like this was the family farm. And he is a, from a, in a successful uh, life. But God comes along, uh, or Elijah comes along and takes his mantle and just drops it on him. He doesn't even say anything. He just takes an action and does it. 
He didn't command him to do what he did. He didn't command him to even respond. This had to come from Elijah's heart. This had to be something that came from a very deep place in him. Something that God had prepared. A place that could only be fit with this particular call. His heart had to have been made ready for this third call of being used by God in the nation to bring the truths and the the power of God into the nation and into people's lives. To stand for what the Lord's truths were. It's very interesting. So what does Elijah do? Elijah, he goes, he takes the oxen right there. He didn't, he didn't ask, he didn't do it, he just did it. He just took the oxen and he, and he butchered them and he, start, he, took, he took the plow and, he, he, and all of its implements and he started a fire with them and he boiled water and there he put in the meat and then all of the servants came and they had this big meal. He just cut all of his ties with his history. This was his initiative for the kingdom. He now was at a moment of time of call that God was saying to him, I want you to pick up this mantle. You are gonna be the one because we're gonna need a prophet. We're gonna need somebody to speak because Elijah's gonna be coming home. Now they walked together for a long time. Elijah served him for a long time, but This was where the transition started. And all Elisha does, all Elisha does is he just does what's right. All on the initiative of the heart and initiative of the kingdom. The call. He recognizes this as a time of his life where God is changing, changing the season, changing what life has been. And, he, and he's, it's this total upgrade. He's already had faith and duty. He's already had initiatives of the heart. And now he's got initiatives for his kingdom, for God's kingdom. And he's been waiting for that moment. And he knows that now is the time when God's hand is upon him. And he burns the plow and eats the oxen, shares it with his friends and servants and family. It's not the end of his story, but it was the beginning of a season of God reaching deeper into his life than faith and duty or initiatives even of the heart. Initiatives of the heart is about me getting whole. Initiatives of the heart is about me getting back my strength and getting back the power of my life that I lost. Uh, It's me getting back my fingers and my nose. It's me getting back what that had taken from me. It's me uh, receiving back what that robbed from me. And it's a very important thing. But for what reason? Let me read to you this portion. 2 Kings 2. They've been walking together for some time now. And Elijah's going to be taken home. He's one of the only two men that we know, maybe three men of history, recorded in the scriptures that God took before their death date. 
And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. You're so much rich in here, I don't have time for it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that so that the two of them walked over on dry ground. You might not have realized there was more than just Moses and Joshua. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the God, the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that and Elisha crossed over. Few points. Elisha is an incredible illustration of the third call that God has on your life, on yours. And that third call is that you should have such a deep desire for the service of the Lord that you are prepared to take on whatever cost is necessary, that you are willing to press ahead for your Lord and your, your Savior Christ that you are here and you recognize your time, this, your season in this time, that you have the opportunity of God in this third call. This is a call of opportunity. It is not one that you have to really, you know, say, God, chase me down. It's you chasing God down. It's you saying, I'll not leave you, Elijah. He says, please stay here. No, I'm not staying here. 
I want more. I want more. Have you ever chased God down on that? See, the other stuff was, Jesus, I really need you to heal us. Heal us, O oh Lord. And then one comes back and says, oh, I'm so filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. This is beautiful what you've done in my life and for me. I am grateful. And then the Lord makes him stronger and whole and restores even what sin had, had really caused him to lose. But this is a whole different call. This is a call that you pursue, that you say, I want to advance my Lord's interests in my family, in my place of work, in my profession. I'm willing to, to, to burn the plow. I'm willing to do whatever's needed to, to do what I want to do for God. I want this, Elijah. I want the mantle. When we all leave this planet, there's going to be a time when time is wrapped up that we will, you and I, as Christians, as a Christian, this is only for those that have placed their faith in Christ, you're going to stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, which is for your works. Which is for your works. And this particular video makes a point of that moment in time. And it takes a look at something that's very important for us to look at as believers because we have an opportunity. <clears throat> and that is exactly the point of today. You have a call. You have a mantle on you. It might be a mantle for the marketplace. I have brothers, I have a father that had that mantle. It was a mantle for the marketplace. It was a mantle that, that they would be successful and thereby be very, very supportive of the work of God. You may have a mantle at this time in your life for family about really getting the big picture of the influence that you are stewarding when you are stewarding young lives. You are stewarding some of the most incredible future influences. It may be that there's something in you that has been called by God to pay attention. Maybe it's evangelism. You might be in the marketplace, but it's evangelism. It doesn't matter exactly what your call is because we all have this still different flavor and different thing that God has at this claim on our life. Some of you, it's going to come out in very incredible ways. It might come out in, in, the, in the arts. It might come out in the talents and the gifts that God has given you. It's going to come out very strongly maybe there, but now it's under a different mantle. It is, it is all geared to furthering his kingdom. It is all geared to serving him in that capacity. It's no longer just about you feeling whole or getting your life back. It's no longer about you just getting you know, healed and getting the basics and the minimums in. It has now transpired into something that your heart will not let you run away from too easily. In fact, his call is more about you calling on him and having such a thirst and a love and a passion for him and for people that you couldn't live another day without somehow bringing some of the great treasures of heaven 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I need to be part of that, God, what you're doing right now. Because the world is not just, is, is not uniquely bad, it's always been this way. It's not seeing your life as something to be just whole. The Jordan River, when Elijah and Elisha crossed the Jordan River, the Jordan River represents death. It's called the river of death. It literally runs from north in the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is dead because there's no outlets that come in or go out. So all of the mineral components have stayed there. When they cross the Jordan River, that is the final thing. And they go together and Elijah strikes it, they walk across. That is, what this always symbolizes is this death to self and then a new resurrected life. It's like baptism. It's a baptism where it's death to self, new resurrected life. Elisha hung on to Elijah and made that crossing and dying to self. Elijah goes on to full life in heaven, but Elisha returns with the mantle and instead of calling the horsemen back and saying, take me too, and that by the way is a lot of times what Christians do is help me escape this. He instead takes that cloak and says, Elijah completed his work. I'm going back from life into a place of death to bring life. You also are called to bring life. It might be in what you do, but it's how you do it, who you do it for, what concepts are behind the practices of the gifts and the talents that God has so graced you with, the opportunities that have come your way. What has he prepared you for? But you must seek it out. You must go and run after him. You must hang on to him for that to be realized. That kind of call takes that type of initiative of the heart that leads you out of wholeness now into bringing life, furthering God's interests. There was only 10% that chose wholeness because it was good enough for them at the other level. My guess is there's less that burn the plow. And today, as we work our way in the next few weeks and have been towards Easter, this just might be your plow burning moment when you say enough. I'm done. I'm done with just faith and duty. I'm done with just the wholeness of my heart initiatives. The praise and thankfulness and gratitude. I'm so, but what am I doing with that? Am I pursuing him now? And saying, you got stuff for me. I want it.
You got a mantle for me. I want it. You have that anointing of that for me. I want it. And I know there are many of you right now that are pondering this. Easter is just around the corner. Jesus is going to wrap it all up. He's going to lay down his life. They don't take it. He gives it. He's going to conquer death. He's going to conquer hell. He's going to rise. And in his resurrection, you find eternal life. But is that the end game? Not according to the season that he has left you in here now. Which commandments am I supposed to obey? Which ones? Give me a list and short list better. Or maybe it's that, I am so grateful you have restored me. You have done such amazing things in me. But that needs to lead to this third call, this pursuit of God. Because he still has a mantle for you. Do you know what it is? Have you pursued him to find it? Are you willing to pursue him to find it? And so we end this service today with an opportunity we don't normally do these kinds of things, but we're going to do something unique today. We're going to close the service right away here. The band can just stay seated, please. <clears throat> and in closing the service, you just have a great day. It's beautiful. I don't know about you, but I feel like I got a shot of, D, of vitamin D. I feel like it's good. But I know that there's some here. You've moved beyond faith and obedience. You've moved even to that wholeness and that gratefulness and that thankful life and that worshipful life. But it's time to now pursue him for the mantle the third, the third anointing, the third call. Because it's my plow moment. Elisha was ready. No words, just response to a mantle being dropped on him. No words. And for those that want to today, Pastor Bob's going to join me at the altar here. We're just going to have a little vial of oil. And if you're ready, and only if you're ready, do not make this a religious exercise. Don't make this faith and duty and don't make it thankfulness. Make it a paw moment. And we will anoint you and pray that God's anointing will be upon you and that he will place his mantle on you that he has already got waiting. Let's stand together and pray.
Father, as we bow our hearts before you, we're coming up to the very special season where we honor your great love for us, your great work for us, just the cost you paid. And we stand in a moment of time here this morning just as an individual, and, and not all of us will be ready for this, Lord, because we, we are moving through, we're moving through those first two calls, and that is good. But that third call we will pursue. Today's our problem. Wherever we are at, Lord, in this continuum, maybe our faith and obedience, may we celebrate that, be thankful that we've been made clean. And Lord, if we're in the wholeness, may we just further develop that grateful heart and grateful response of worship to you. But for those that have that tug today, I pray, Lord God, you'll place your mantle. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.